you doing? You okay? So far, so good? Good. Nothing's gone wrong yet? It's all good. So, uh, I'm on the second message in a short Diddy July series, which I decided to call Jamie's Old Favorite. I, I could have just gone with Jamie's Old. That, that would have been true, too. But I decided my original thoughts of kind of Jamie's Greatest Hits. I think that title had a few problems, if I'm honest. So we've gone with Jamie's old favorites. Um, I hope this message will speak to you. Um, I first preached it on the 8th of January. I looked it up. I can't remember. 2011. And it still speaks to me 12 and a half years later. And just to say to a few of you, a handful of you, if you recognize this message from 2011, I am very impressed. And you know what? If you did, you've probably heard me preach at least 500 times since. So I reckon you definitely deserve some kind of medal for that. Okay, question for you. Does anyone ever have what they would describe as a prophetic dream? Say, no, me neither. Uh, I, th I think it's because I'm put off by Joel 2.28, which says that the old men will have dreams. Kind of contradicts what I said previously, I realize that. But on one particular occasion, I had a dream that caught my attention. And the dream went something like this. Now, now quick pause. Uh, when you sit down to watch a movie, you want to know what it's going to be, right? I'm not sure if this one is horror or comedy. I'm not sure those two go together very well. I think perhaps think men in black, I don't know. But um, anyway, this, this is kind of described as dream. So it, it goes like this, and this is 2011. So um, we'd reasonably recently come back from Canada. Catherine and I, two golden retrievers, three, I think you call them ankle biters, I think is the technical term, two, five, and six, I think my boys were. And in this dream, I found myself taken in the spirit. John said that. Into my living room. And there in my living room were two giant pythons curled up by the sofa, lying right next to the dog beds. And then wandering around the rest of my home, I found that there were scattered around the home and garden three or four, five, six more giant snakes scattered around the house. Now, I don't know what you think when you think of pythons and anacondas, but I think of a, of a naturalist on the TV called Jeff Corwin. I don't know if you remember him. I'm not sure he's on these days, but, but I remember him, and he'd be in a paddy field, and there'd be a kind of an irrigation ditch, and this man would dive in, and he would kind of go under the bubbles, and he'd come out and he had this 20-foot anaconda in his hand saying, isn't this beautiful? I don't feel like that about snakes. <laughs> anyway, in my dream, here's, here's the scene. And at this point, we had a knock on the door. And we had a visit. And the visit was from a, so you know how you kind of mix things up in dreams and various different scenarios and contexts. And people are in the wrong place. So anyway, Dio. Dio was Nigerian. She lived in Collingwood, Ontario. She attended our church there. And she came to a visit in London, which perhaps England, perhaps wasn't unusual. Anyway, delighted to have, uh, you know, can I use your facilities? Absolutely makes up home. Lovely to see you. Anyway, I decided to take a shower. So 
perfectly reasonable thing to do. And about five minutes later, there was a scream. And Dio runs out of the house in the bathrobe, shouting, there's a giant snake in the bath. There's a giant snake in the bath. And then it dawned on me, I think, at this point. There's a word for this. It, it, it's crazy. We've got giant child-eating constrictors living in our house. So at this point, I called another friend from my church. And again, forgive the confusion, this guy in Canada, so it didn't quite work. But I called up Carmen. Carmen loves snakes. Carmen owns snakes and thought, you know, he, he can come and help us out. But of course, he's out of town. And eventually in this dream, I, I recognize that, that, you know, it's my house. And I have the authority to tell these snakes to leave in my dream. It's a dream, remember. So anyway, I, I, that's what we do. And the first few snakes kind of uncurl and wander out the front door with, with no problems whatsoever. But then one or two of them started to reason with me. Please let us stay. I promise we won't cause any trouble. Don't worry, we're not going to eat your dogs. You know, by that point in the dream, my fear had gone, and I took authority over these snakes, and you'll be glad to know I ordered them out of my house. That's the dream. As I said, I'm not particularly one for spiritual dreams, but this one at the time seemed to be really significant. So I remember... You know, getting on my knees, as it were, and asking the Lord, what did this mean? And at that point, he downloaded to me the content of this message, which I'm going to share with you this morning, and it goes something like this. So the, the best teaching I've, I've heard on interpreting dreams and visions and prophecies is by a man called Dutch Sheep. And he teaches that there are three parts any form of prophetic revelation. And the first part is the revelation itself, the content or the picture, what you see, what, what God tells you or shows you. The second is, is the interpretation. What does it actually mean? And then the third part is the application. What action do we need to take in response to what God has shown us? So working our way through those. First, first of all, the revelation, the content is this. There's a bunch of giant snakes making themselves at home in my house. And the key point is, I've allowed it. I've been naively unaware that they've come in stealthily and gradually. But now, there they are, almost part of the furniture, living amongst my kids, two, five, and six, little blonde-haired boys, living amongst my dogs, two beautiful golden retrievers we had at that time. And so what does this mean? What's the interpretation? Okay, so, so here's the message. There are dangerous things that if we're not careful, we, we allow into our homes, into our lives, into our hearts, without really noticing. Things that, that steal our peace and joy. Things that cause us tremendous personal pain and frustration. 
things that have the potential to ruin our relationships and stand right between us and God. And we have allowed them in, albeit unwittingly. It's a bit like that, that slow-boiling frog principle. If we knew the consequences, we never would have let them in the door. But we didn't. Gradually, almost unnoticed, they've started to squeeze the life out of us. And by the time we did notice, they've made themselves completely at home. And now we don't know how to get rid of them. Here are some examples of some of the things that people let in. The first one is offense. Someone upsets you, someone wrongs you, and a little seed gets planted. You know, you have the opportunity to forgive, but for whatever reason, you just refuse to let it go. And in time, you become bitter and increasingly resentful, and that, that offense starts to poison your heart. You start to become overly negative and critical and defensive. And that particular relationship is permanently damaged. And not only that, it soon starts to seep out and affect your other relationships as well. It sneaks in like a snake. And the next thing you know, it's living in your house. Example number two. Example number two is worry. It all starts with that, with that demonic, suggestive, anxious thought. But it begins to grow as you feed it. And slowly that, that worry multiplies into fear, into self-doubt, into insecurity, into self-pity. It starts to take over. And before you know it, there's a family of snakes hanging out in your living room. Example number three, third and final example for now. Example number three is pornography. Again, it begins with a seed, a lust seed. You entertain it and you feed it. And it starts to grow until it becomes a habit and eventually an addiction, addiction that enslaves and that defiles and that fills you with a cold, clammy, dirty guilt. It's a song by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. I read uh, some words for you. It says, it says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray, thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Now, perhaps the most extraordinary and bizarre thing about my dream, which was pretty extraordinary and bizarre, you'll agree, is that snakes were living in my house, and I barely noticed. And the point is, in time, we can become bizarrely comfortable 
with what we've grown to tolerate. And it often, did in my dream, takes an outsider to bring home the ridiculousness of the situation. If you'd known, if you'd seen ahead, if you'd measured the consequences, you'd never have let them in. But you did. And there they are. Just press pause for a second to answer a question that you may already have started to ask yourself or the Holy Spirit might already have started nudging you in the ribs about. And that's this. What snakes, what snake or snakes have you allowed into your house? What do you tolerate? What snake is there curled up in your metaphorical living room that you'd get rid of in an instant, if only you could. Or put it like this, if, if an outsider was looking in on your life, what would they be shocked by and change instantly, without thought or hesitation? And if so, why don't you? The answer is probably because you don't know you can. We're going to come to that. Here's some more examples. Examples of things we, we tolerate. Okay, number one. There's an anger inside of me, but I'm just a fiery person. It's just the way God made me, and I have to live with it. Never mind that it's devastating my loved ones. It's a snake. Bizarrely, we start to tolerate it. Here's another one. There's a rift with your father or your sister or your child. You don't quite know where or when it started, but it slowly escalated, and now we don't talk. I hate it, but I've grown to tolerate it. And actually, if you ask me, I've, I've got perverse ways to justify it. Here's another thing we tolerate. A difficult marriage is just inevitable. You know, that initial attraction eventually wears off and the differences get magnified and conflict intensifies. We've just grown used to it. You know, once that snake is in there, what next? Misery? An affair? Divorce? Number four. Snake number four. Something we tolerate is all teenagers are rebellious. Ever been told that? You know, your relationship will inevitably deteriorate through those years and you'll be left hanging on there grimly. I don't know about you, but I just refuse. I've got three teenagers. I just refuse to accept that. That is a snake, and it is not welcome in my house. Number five, last one. Think things that we tolerate. Here's a snake for you. It is normal to medicate pain. You know, everyone has a few drinks when they get home. What's the line I read on, on Twitter quite often? How, how, can, how can you be a teacher and not drink? I've been there. 
You know, pain is inevitable, yes. Self-medication is natural, it's normal. It might be alcohol, could be comfort eating, or retail therapy, could be porn, could be pills, could be dope, maybe even something worse. The danger is, before you know it, there is a giant boa constrictor sleeping at the foot of your bed. Okay, back, back to me and my dream. The reality is dawned now. There are giant, child-eating, dog-killing snakes in my house. They've made themselves at home. They've dug deep roots. They've curled up on my couch. We've grown used to them. Familiar. Bizarrely comfortable. But here comes the revelation. Jamie, this is crazy. It's time for Jamie to put on his big boy pants and deal with those snakes once and for all. That's the interpretation. What about the application? What, what then should we do? What is the process for dealing with snakes in your house? Well, I'm glad you asked. Four steps. One too many, I know, but, but I needed four. Step number one is identify the snakes. Perhaps identify that you have snakes. Number two is to take authority over your house. I'm going to go through these one by one just briefly. Question number three is you have to cast them out. And then number four is you have to slam the door shut. Okay, a couple of minutes on each of those. Number one, you have to identify the snakes that have taken up residence in your house. You have to be honest with yourself. It's time to call it what it is, a snake. Don't believe the lies that they're harmless. Don't believe their attempts to convince you that they belong. Again, ask yourself what one of your sane friends would do if they came into your house and saw that snake lying right there. There's you know, a significant factor in my dream was that when I eventually confronted the snakes, they were more than happy to tell me a whole bunch of lies. Now, there's a famous Bible story about a lying snake. And as I recall, that did not end well at all. And the danger is we start to believe the lies probably because it's easier than dealing with the root problem. And that means we start to, is the word, tolerate. Even justify the existence of things that have sneaked in and duped us. Here's the message, and it's subtle. Stop tolerating anything that has the power to eat you. Number one, identify the stakes. Number two, take authority. This is one of the most important revelations, realizations we can have as Christians. And it is this, you have been given authority over your own house and over your own life. 
couple of verses that paint a picture. Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Luke 9 verse 1. Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out the demons and to heal all diseases. Matthew 28 verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, great commission. I, I have, Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. The next two words are crucial. Therefore, go. In other words, I am giving you that delegated authority to go out and do exactly what I have been doing. That's how the whole thing works. Here's another wonderful old scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Sorry, chapter 30, verse 19. This day, the Lord says, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you. Pretty strong statement. That I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Here's the point again. You have been given delegated authority over your own house and over your own life. And just as those, those house keys, those, those deeds, those documents prove that you have authority over your physical house, so, so the word of God and the promises of heaven prove that you have delegated authority over your spiritual house, over your life, over your family, over your mind, over your decisions. But here's the trouble. The trouble is that the enemy is an authority thief. John 10 verse 10, we know the verse. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so the enemy will do all that he can to convince you that you do not have authority. That you are powerless. That you are hopeless. That you are hapless. How's the song go? Kesara, sarah. Whatever will be, will be. You know, you're like a tiny boat, all at sea on stormy waters, tossed about at the enemy's whim. He wants you to relinquish your authority so he can step in and run amok and mess with your life unhindered. That's his agenda in a nutshell. There's a couple of cards that the enemy plays. I just want to go through quickly. Trick number one, we're going to call the God is in control card. This one is subtle, but of course there's a great deal of truth in that statement. God is sovereign. It's not the way that the enemy has perverted it. The enemy would want you to be God in control means this. Don't, don't worry. Just relax. You, you don't have to do anything. In fact, you can't do anything. Why? Because God is in control. Just sit back. Because you are, in fact, powerless. See how subtle that is? Meanwhile, 
Guess who is stepping in and seizing control? Here's the point. God is indeed in control. But he has given authority over your house to you. He has delegated decision-making powers in your house to you. Just, just read Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and said, you know this verse, be fruitful, amen, and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Who's in control? Where does that authority lie? This is crucial. We understand if we work our way through the narrative of Scripture that Adam had it, the serpent stole it, Jesus reclaimed it on the cross, and he has delegated it back to us. You know what? Don't let that lying, stealing, and conniving snake convince you otherwise. The trick number two is he'll try to trick you into relinquishing, giving up your authority. He even tried that trick on Jesus in the wilderness. He wants to create in your life a leadership vacuum. And he'll use stealth, he'll use sleight of hand, distorted scripture, false teacher, the teaching to get you to give up your rightful authority. Slowly but surely those snakes will start to move in. And the next thing you know, they are dictating terms. They are driving decisions. They are setting the mood. They are poisoning the atmosphere. And I'd say this, why would anyone allow the evil one authority over their life? But far too many people unwittingly do just that. What's the saying? If you give the devil an inch, think he's a ruler. So the moral is learn to take authority in your own house and make sure there is no vacuum for him to step into. Okay, so we've identified the snakes. We've, we've recognized that I am the one. We are the ones that have authority over our own house. The next step is to cast them out. Those snakes are not going to leave of their own accord. They're going to fight. They're going to kick up a fuss and they are going to cling on grimly. Those bad attitudes, those offenses, those excuses, those lies and addictions need to be cast out. And again, the point, you are being given delegated authority to use the name of Jesus. And so as I had to do in my dream, you need to stand at the front door of your house you need to point down the street to look those snakes in the eye and command them to get out. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get out of my house. You know, authority is exercised by declaration. Proverbs 18, 21, famous verse. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. I renounce you, I forbid you, I oppose you, I curse you, I bind you. 
and job. Because you have delegated authority, those snakes have no choice but to leave. James 4 verse 7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then point number four, nearly done. You've got to slam the door shut. Finally, you've got to do whatever it takes to stop those snakes from coming back onto your property. We've read the one, haven't we? The story Jesus told about the demon who came back with seven of his friends because that house had not been cleaned out. So whatever the area is in your life, wherever that snake's nest used to be, Get it properly cleaned out. Here's the oft-repeated line. Get yourself into the word and get the word into you. Get your mind thoroughly renewed in that area. Get the lies out and get the truth in once and for all. The word of God is the ultimate lie detector. The Word of God is your intruder alarm. The Word of God is your triple-bolted front gate. How did Jesus confront his snake? The big, ugly one that confronted him in the wilderness. How? It is written. It is written. Three times. It is written. That is how you too guard the gate of your own. You might need an accountability partner. If you see a snake trying to get into my house, shout. And remember the scene. Steve Redgrave has just won his umpteen millionth gold medal. He's just come out of the shore and he says the immortal words. I retire. If anyone sees me getting into a boat again, shoot me. Four years later, gold medal number five. What he needed was an accountability partner. Here's, here's the point. You, you've got to keep hold of that authority. Don't allow the devil to subtly, he's very good at, and deceptively, I mean, liar is his middle name. Don't allow him to worm, if you'll excuse the pun, don't allow him to worm his way back into your life. And slam that door finally shut. Okay back to my dream. Because I know that the one thing that you've wanted to know all the way through was what was the snake in my house. Right? You wanted to know that, right? So having dreamt this dream, right, having asked God what it meant, I then had to ask God, honestly, what did it mean for me, for us, as a family? What was our snake? And the answer is this. At that time, Our boys, who were probably, I guess, three, six, and seven by then, were watching a handful of kids' shows on the TV and playing with the associated toys. And there was a set of them that were all the rage at that time, a long time ago. Uh, One of them was called Bakugan. Then we also had Pokemons around, Ben 10, Transformers. And what was noticeable about all of those, I mean, if you actually delve too deeply, it's a bit scary, actually. 
But what was notable in each of those was the aggressive, bad attitude of the characters. Even the good ones. You know, we'd observed this, Catherine and I, we were, we were mildly irritated. It didn't feel quite right. And then you start to justify, but, but, but all the other kids are playing with these toys. They're, they're good toys. You know, our kids like them. You know, that was the pervading culture. And so here was my revelation that came out of that dream when I woke up. Why would you allow that aggression and that violence and a key word, that rebellion, why would you allow that into your house? Why? Just why? Because in time, it would drip, 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 drip its way into our kids' attitudes, into their thought patterns, into their modeled default responses. And the next thing you know is there will be three giant snakes curled up on our kids' beds. It's insanity. I mean, you wouldn't do that with real snakes. So why on earth would we tolerate demonic ones? I've been playing all week with them. There must be someone around here with a giant snake. Wouldn't it be fun to have a python curled up there? Never got that far. How did that play out with us? Well, on one occasion, we were in Toys R Us. Sadly, no more. And, and we had shared, you know, all three of you, you can choose a toy. Yeah, good parents. Choose a toy. And Joel, who's our middle one, wanted, I think, a Ben 10 DVD. And we told him how we felt. We negotiated a little bit. And we ended up paying 20 pounds more. 20 pounds was a lot of money, even in those days. We end up paying 20 pounds more for a Wii game. Well, it was money really well spent. We explained to the boys why, because they would probably all have been diving into that particular basket. And bless them, they seemed to get it. You know, in, the, in that moment, we closed the door. We banned, banished. And do you know what? They were not mentioned again. Although they were advertised consistently on TV, and to be fair, our boys never after them again. So, how do we respond to that? That was our snake back in 2011. Here's the question. You know it's coming. What's yours? Three questions to help you with that. As you saw, worship team, do you want to come get ready? First of all, what have you unwittingly allowed into your house? Question number two, what have you perversely grown to tolerate? And then question three, God, what do I need to exercise, to expel, and to defeat? What do I do, need to do to get rid of that? And the process Again, just to remind you is this. Number one, the revelation. This is crazy. There are 20-foot pythons in my kitchen. And then comes the big decision. The stake in the ground moment. No more. And then there's the action. You can do that right now, right here in this place, which is to take up your God-given authority and to kick it out here 